Good morning. I want to thank Pastor Peter for the invitation to come and share. It's been a while. I think it's been, what, a couple years maybe? I don't know. Yeah, about two years we came. Things were different two years ago, quite different uh, as far as our ministry goes. So we have really changed a lot in the last two years, and uh, I'll share a little bit about that. But I'm going to share about um, what Unreached 4K is and our Uganda ministry, and Brother Joe, we call him, we've got a big title for him. He's our European mobilizer. That means he takes care of Ukraine, okay? So he does all the work for Ukraine. He ministers to Ukraine. We have a, a ministry there. Uh, so I take care of Uganda. He takes care of Ukraine. And we also have a Facebook ministry where we send out the Jesus film a couple times a month and uh, just see who nabs at it. So... Uh, let me start by looking in God's Word in Matthew 28, 18. I, and I know you all know this, right? That Great Commission. I'm going to be reading out the ESV, um, beginning at chapter 18, 28, 18. And Jesus came and he said to them, to his disciples, and he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he said, go therefore and make disciples of who? All nations, right? All nations. Baptizing them in who? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then do what? And then teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, you're not alone. He says, I'm with you always to the end of the earth. And that's the most amazing passage in, I think, all the New Testament. Because it gives us our marching orders. Here's what we're to do. Here's what the church is to do. Now, when we look at it, we think uh, an imperative is a command in English, right? To go. But it's actually the imperative is to make disciples. So in the Greek, it would say, as you are going to Walmart, Kroger, to your neighbor, to overseas, to eastern Kentucky, as you are going, step one, make disciples of who? All nations. That includes everybody. And then step two, what do we do? We baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And by the way, baptism is the drawing line in the sand, especially for a Muslim. Uh, the Muslims will allow their people to go to church, a Christian church. They don't like it. But once they're baptized, they're cast out, persecuted, they suffer. And then teach them what? To observe all that I've commanded you. What did Jesus command us? To pray, to give to fast, to love our neighbor, to love God, love our enemies. That's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? To forgive, to bear fruit, to preach, to teach, and to follow him. So we are followers of Jesus, and we, we need to remember that. Okay, we're not church members, we are followers of Jesus. So with that said, let's move on to our PowerPoint uh, we're called Unreached 4K. Let me go to the next slide. We have a verse there. My name will be great among the nations from where the sun rises to where it sets, says the Lord Almighty. And that means all the nations. Is it working? Not doing anything. Maybe I'm holding it wrong. Bottom button, bottom button. I'm working at it. Be patient with me. Okay, there you go. There you go. That works great. Well, the name Unreached 4K. So as Rick said, I've been doing mission work, short-term mission work since 2005. Fell in love with it. Started working in India, taking the Jesus film there with projectors. Uh, just going everywhere I could go. And uh, so in 2000. Uh, let's see, that would be, I retired two and a half years ago, around 2020. Uh, that I retired, so that's when we started Unreached 4K. And it stands for the 4,000 unreached people groups in the world. Now, a lot of statistics will say there's over 7,000, but if you categorize each group once and not separate them by nations, there's a little over 4,000. Uh, and these are people groups that have little to no access to the gospel. Nobody's working with them, or very few people working with them. 
They don't, you, if you ask them about Jesus, they'll say, Jesus who? I don't know the gospel. They may know Isa if they're Muslims. Uh, but we, Kathleen and I just had a chance to tour the IMB, the International Mission Board in Richmond last week, and they came up with some new statistics, which I was not aware of, but uh, about 8 billion people on planet Earth, 4.7 billion are unreached. 59% of our planet is unreached with the gospel. And what are we doing about it? And that's the question I want to ask you. What are you doing about it? What am I doing about it? Jesus calls us to go and do something about this. So, and our motto is to reach the unreached one tribe at a time. We know we can't save the whole world, right? Compassion International uh, Ministry with children years ago, their motto was we can't save all the world. We can't save all the children of the world, but we can save one. And that's our motto. We can't reach 4,000 people groups. I don't have the, the finances, don't have the time, it can't be done, but we can reach one. So we have chosen one, and it's interesting how we found them because I had been traveling through the capital of Uganda, Kampala, traveling through there over to the east near Kenya, and I started looking on the Joshua Project and found there's an unreached people group right near where we drive by. 39,000 Nubian Muslims, zero believers. So we adopted them. Nobody's working with them. Nobody is going there. Absolutely zero. Uh, but we're a local nonprofit. Uh, we don't get paid. We pay our own airfare. We pay our, our transportation meals. So if people donate, 100% of that goes to ministry. Okay, so we pay our own way. We, you know, God blessed us. We were in education, Joe always says. So we are highly blessed. We have a good retirement, good pension. So we, we seek to make mature disciples, establish healthy churches, and train local church leaders among unreached people groups because we want them to be healthy churches. We've had a couple bad experiences where we, we established unhealthy churches. But how do we learn? By our mistakes. So I've got a lot to tell you about that. So let's go on. Uh, let me back up here. Am I clicking at you? Okay, good deal. So we have three main ministries right now. Our focus is, is three areas. Bombo, Uganda. If you go to Uganda, you're landing in Tebe. The capital's close by. You just go north about 40 minutes, and you're in Bombo. And if you remember Idi Amin, uh, who tried to take over the country years ago, he brought in a bunch of Nubian fighters from Sudan to fight as a militia, and they ended up settling in Bombo, and that's where they're at. So that's who we're trying to reach. So we have Brother Stanley that we hired last December. I was so frustrated because, you know, sometimes things just don't go the way you think they should go, and you don't trust the Lord enough to work things out. I want to do it on my own. i got to fix this, okay? And, and we were just struggling and struggling, and, and, and God brought Brother Stanley to us. We weren't looking for him, but he came to us. We met with him in December. We hired him. Matter of fact, we sent him a contract. We learned the hard way. We, we thought, we, we need a contract. And it's got the, the Southern Baptist uh, mission statement on there, the statement of faith. He agreed to it. He read it through thoroughly. And let me give you a little background about Brother Stanley. Anybody ever hear of John MacArthur? Okay, John MacArthur. Johnny Mac is what we call him. He's from California. He has a seminary there called Master's Seminary. One of his graduates there, Shannon Hurley, in 1995, went to Uganda and established a Bible college. Well, that Bible college is where Brother Stanley just graduated from. And he knows theology. He puts me to shame sometimes. He knows what he believes, why he believes it. Uh, he's very strong in God's Word, teaching God's Word, making disciples, not church members, making disciples, and reproducing to send them out to make more churches. And that's what Jesus, that's what his plan is for us. So we work with uh, Brother Stanley, our church planner, Stanley Quagalana. That's a little hard to say, but he's in Bombo. Uh, and in Ukraine, we're working with Pastor Paul Dudka. He's at Revival Baptist Church. Uh, he's planning churches. He's meeting the needs of refugees and orphans. And if you haven't heard, there's a little bit of war going on there in Ukraine. It's over in the east. We go to the west. Joe is there in April. You notice I said Joe was there in April. I did not go with him. I was in India. Uh, so he went by himself. 
So he went to visit Pastor Paul because if we support someone, rule is you go and check it out firsthand. You see for yourself what's going on. Make sure it's legit because there are scammers out there. But I've known Pastor Paul for quite some time. And then we have the Facebook ads. We send out uh, about twice a month. Uh, we send them to Unreached People Group for five days. It costs 30 bucks. And I can drop it right in the middle of a city. Uh, and I'll talk about that at the end. Uh, 50, 50 uh, mile radius of this city. Everybody's going to get those silly ads that pop up on their phone. And you know the whole world has a cell phone, right? Yeah, I don't think they don't. Everybody on the planet has a cell phone of some type. And, 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 and they have access. Even if in Uganda, Facebook is cut off. During the last election, Museveni uh, or Museven, uh, he cut Facebook off. But everybody has a VPN, and they just go right around it, and they have access to Facebook. So it's a great ministry. And uh, so we'll talk about that in a few minutes as well. So here's Bombo, Uganda. It's right above Lake Victoria. You can see Lake Victoria right there. This is not going to shine on the screen, is it? Uh, so you can see right in the middle of Uganda, in, in Africa, you have Lake Victoria. Just north is Uganda. So Brother Stanley's plant, he's, we hired him in December. He had his first church, guess when? January. He had Cornerstone Baptist Church. And let me explain why we call it Cornerstone Baptist Church. The Pentecostal and the prosperity movement is running rampant. And it's not helping at all in Africa. So if a church is called Cornerstone Community Church, it's considered Pentecostal. Charismatic. So we call our churches Baptist churches because they're grounded in God's word. Um, they make disciples. They're very uh, uh, strong, healthy churches. So Brother Stanley has planted Cornerstone Baptist Church last January. Uh, the video you saw a while ago was when we were there, just about a month after we hired him. And now he's already planted four churches on his own before we even hired him uh, without any funds. So he brings people from those four churches that are disciples in those churches. He brings them to work along with us to go door to door and evangelize to start another church. So he's got a great, um, I don't know how you say it. He's just got a great procedure of planting churches, I guess you could say. Uh, then just, I think it was last May, he started Benby Baptist Church. That's closer to Bombo. Now let me explain. Bombo Town, there's 39,000 Nubian Muslims who don't like Christians, right? Zero believers. You can't go in the middle of Bombo Town and start a church. Not going to happen. So what we're doing is kind of a military approach. We're going all around it, planting churches, and each time we're getting a little closer. A little closer. So my, my goal is in 10 years to have a Baptist church right in the middle of Bombo Town, right between the two big mosques. So that's my goal. Uh, so Bimby Church was just started in, in May. Uh, we had a first service July 16th. Uh, it's nearby. It's a little closer to Bombo. So that's what Brother Stanley does. And now this is interesting here. How many of you have heard of the Joshua Project? It's a great website. Every day I go to it. It tells me the people group of the day to pray for. Uh, how many there are, where they're located, what language they speak, how many believers there are. But if you look at the picture on the left, on your left, you'll see that's about two years old, and you see that there's the Nubians we're trying to reach. There's 39,000 in Uganda, 22,000 in Kenya. But I call that one people group, but some call it two. Zero believers. See the arrow pointing to zero believers on the left? Two days ago, I looked it up again just out of curiosity, and it's 0.17. That number's growing. How is that number growing? Well, we're the only ones there planting churches. Nobody else is working there. I've checked with Pioneer Mission, Sim, Surge, IMB, everybody, and nobody is touching because it's too small of a group. They don't want to waste their time right now. So they are growing. We are making an impact, but it's slow. Okay, so we are making an impact. This is Brother Stanley on your far right, his wife Agnes, their children, and they are a ministry family. They're all involved in ministry. David, uh, in the middle there, David, he's going to SOS, the Bible college. Uh, when he graduates, we'll have our second church planner. Uh, his other son's in college. There's Shalom and Victoria. Um, and they are a great ministry family. They, everything they do is focused on ministry. Agnes takes care of the children at the church. Uh, 
And this is an interesting photo here, and I don't want to take too much time. But this is on the left is a man named Bodyroom. So the the Nubians, uh, thirty nine thousand Nubian Muslims. He was a Nubian Muslim. He's still Nubian, but he's not a Muslim. So about three years ago, yes, about three years ago, he was converted. And when he was converted, he was baptized. When he was baptized, he was kicked out of his house. His land was taken from him. His family disowned him. They took his bricks, everything he owned. Matter of fact, his brothers caught him and beat him up and took his cell phone. So they, they had a lawyer write up a form that says, you no longer belong to our family. So he has stayed the course. I pray for him daily. And he is going to be our next church planner. He's in a village in the south called Kakuti. But his wife there, Harriet, and that's uh, Mama Judith next to him. Every week, from they're from the south. When we were planning churches in the south under the, the Pentecostal pastor, that's where they were at. Well, they've been going to Cornerstone for the last six, maybe eight months. They're being discipled properly now. And I don't want to say deprogrammed or, or anything like that, but they're being discipled properly now. A matter of fact, uh, Bodyer and Harriet go to Pastor Stanley's house every week for four hours, plus they take a bus. The, see the bus behind them? I pay for transportation to put gas in it. They take a bus of their people, probably about 15, 20 people every week on Sunday. They take them to Cornerstone Baptist Church to hear what a real church teaches. They're being discipled. And I asked Stanley the other day, when is he going to be ready? He said, in July, he'll be ready. So in July, we'll have another church planning. So we are gathering well-grounded Bible-believing church planners. This is when we were there in January. Uh, this is Cornerstone just started. It's a month old. They've got the walls halfway up. Look at how many people. That's a lot of people. It's, it's about three times that now. Uh, children are everywhere because how do you reach a, a, an unreached people group? Reach the children. Reach the young people. That's what you want to do. You want to reach them. So Agnes is working with uh, the children. They have about 40 children every week. They're meeting in a, a building behind the church because it's rainy season. September, October, November, it rains every day. Floods, it's terrible. Mosquitoes are bad. Everybody gets malaria. Some of them have typhoid now, so uh, we just send funds for medicines and things like that. But uh, there's what the church looks like now. This was in July on the right. So the church is completed. Uh, we built a water well because there was no water well within three villages. So people had to walk maybe three miles to get water. Can you imagine carrying two five-gallon jugs for three miles? I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. But we had to put a house around it because uh, it has an electric pump. It has a tank. But someone will steal that pump out of there. Plus, there are Muslims down the street that will contaminate that water to say that the Christians, look what they did. They gave you bad water. So we had to build a building around that, which it's done now. You can see it in progress there. So that building with the pump and the tank, it's now enclosed. Baptizing new believers constantly. That's the when you draw the line in the sand when you're baptized. You can say you believe Christianity. You can say that you're following Jesus and the community will accept it okay. But once you're baptized, you're in. It's all in. And uh, the, the prim, uh, primary religions there are Islam, Anglican, and Catholic. That's what you have. Now, in Bimbi, there's more Pentecostals. But here in Chibajwe, it, that's the three. Making disciples. Look what they have in their lap. When we were planning churches four years ago in the South with our Pentecostal pastor, I think they spent two hours dancing, knocking each other down and trying to heal each other. You know, that's, that's just what we saw. Um, and we weren't seeing healthy churches. So that's when we made the choice. We've, we've got to change. We've got to do something. And sometimes we make mistakes. Let me explain one thing about evangelical. A lot of people think that all evangelical churches are Bible-believing churches. They're not. Uh, matter of fact, I went to the website this morning, the National Association of Evangelicals. 
And it says it includes the Reformed, Holiness Church, Anabaptists, Pentecostal, Charismatics, and others. Okay, so when someone says they're evangelical, don't think that they are a healthy Bible-believing church. Okay, be careful. And there's four criteria. They, they, their, their lives need to be transformed through a born-again experience, which is very vague. Um, high regard for and obedience to the Bible as an ultimate authority. Expression and demonstration of the gospel in missionary and social reform. And then stress on sacrificial, uh, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as making redemption possible for humanity. So if you follow those four things, you can fit in here. So it, it's very vague. So the term evangelical is very vague. But it was during COVID. We Zoomed with them. We were not on the ground with them. So uh, there was a lot that we did not know what was going on. So, uh, But you see that they're planning healthy churches now. Every week they have discipleship class, Bible study, evangelism outreach. They have team uh, church leader meetings. They're meeting all the time. That's all they do, it seems like. Uh, they're grounded in God's Word. We're constantly buying Bibles for them. They speak Luganda. English is the national language, but very few people speak uh, uh, Luganda. The children do, but they're only in school for a few years, so it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't stick very well. Uh, this was, uh, I think, Joe, did you go to this house here? I think Joe's team, we broke up in teams when we were there. And we go door to door. And when we go door to door, we'll, we'll talk to the people. They may be Muslim, Angl Anglican, or Catholic. This was a Muslim family. There are five people there, five Muslims. Uh, Stanley's in pink. Pastor Charles is in white. So this family of five Muslims, we visited their home. And we shared the gospel. And the gospel we use is based on uh, Greg Gilbert's book and track, uh, What is the Gospel? And it talks about God. There's one true God who's holy and just and merciful, loving and good. He created all things. He sustains all things. And then it goes into man. We've all sinned and rebelled against God. And then uh, we talk about other religions of the world trying to get back to God. But in Christianity, what happened? When Jesus came, they called him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. In Christianity, God came to rescue and redeem us. We don't have to work to get back to God like the other religions. And then we talk about Jesus, how he came to rescue and redeem his people. Uh, and then at the end, we have the response that we are called to repent and place our faith and trust in Christ and follow him. About a month after we came home, that family of five came to Christ and were baptized. So that's how things change. It, it, it's absolutely amazing to watch God work in a Muslim family's life. This is the building out back behind the church. Uh, we have a, one of our board members, Brother Ed Young from Macville. He, he sent me $10,000 and said, build that, build that building. So it's a children's ministry building. It's also a medical clinic. Um, Handicap accessible, that's right. They have laws too, they have rules too, but they don't follow them too well. But they, That building is done, by, by the way. Uh, they're going to have their first medical camp sometime this summer, uh, this month, I'm sorry. Uh, this is the medical camp we had in July when we went. We preached the gospel every day. You see some Muslims in the audience. They heard the true gospel about Jesus Christ. They had to, they were captive audience. If they want to see a doctor, they're going to sit under the tent and hear the gospel. So let me speed up a little bit. This is uh, one of the volunteer doctors on the left, Dr. Stephen. That is uh, Jennifer uh, Durling. She's from Springfield. She's a nurse practitioner. She goes with us. She does this. She volunteers to do the medical camp. We saw all these people. We did all these tests, and here's the results. We saw 335 people in two days, 80 cases of positive malaria, and a whole lot of other conditions you see there. Uh, but we had $1,400 worth of medicines that took care of everyone that came. So to reach the Muslims, what do you have to do? You have to have fresh water. You have to meet their needs. They need water. They need health care. There is no health care. If you get sick, you get typhoid, you die. Unless you can find somebody to give you money to go get antibiotics, go to the hospital. And that's just the way it is. Uh, this is Bimby Baptist Church. It was started in May, like I said. We were there. We went door to door. 
And these are people from the community that came uh, each night, and we would lead Bible study and answer questions. That's what it looks like now, but they're being flooded because they need $5,500 for a building, which we don't have yet. So as it's raining in the rainy season, mud's flowing through the middle of the church. Uh, on the left, that's Fatima. I went to her house, shared the gospel with her. Her husband and three children came to Christ about a month ago. So they are now members of Bimby Baptist Church, and that's Pastor Charles with his new bicycle. Uh, we had our first service July 16th, uh, a great celebration, and we just had a blast. So now let me turn it over to Joe, and he's going to share about Ukraine. Thank you so much for letting us come out here and speak with you today. My prayer, my hope is that somebody in here is going to be encouraged. Somebody in here is going to step out in faith. First of all, uh, like Brother Grant was talking about, things that make up a healthy church, first of all, is that the church is making disciples, and those disciples become disciple makers. Another sign of a healthy church is that it's involved in mission, making missionaries and praying for missionaries, going. And the Great Commission speaks about going. Um, not everyone's going to be called to go overseas, but everyone is called to be on mission. Charles Spurgeon once said, either you're on mission or you're an imposter. And he also said, have you no desire for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be certain of it. Amen. So there's a certain measure of desire that's involved with going on mission. And not everybody is going to have that. Not everybody gets it. Uh, I didn't get it myself. People that know me really close know that I was brought up as a Catholic. When... A young man tried to share the gospel with me in a factory back in 1982. I told him he couldn't do that because I was Catholic. He was trying to tell me about Jesus. And fortunate for me, the guy didn't give up on me. Take this to heart because sometimes the first time you share the gospel, it's not going to take. Uh, it takes a lot more beyond that. And part of missionary work is being uh, willing to pour your life into others. Now, Brother Grant didn't get a chance to talk about this, but we also have outreach mission at the uh, Big Four Bridge in Louisville where uh, we meet a lot of people that claim that they're Christians, but as you speak to them, you begin to ask them questions. It's clear they have no idea what the gospel is. This is why the little track by Greg Gilbert, What is the Gospel, is one of our favorite because there's a lot of false gospels out there. And so you grow in your relationship to Jesus Christ. And as you get closer to him, then you're going to find that you begin to emulate a lot of his passion for missionary work. This is what gets the whole thing started. Uh, so Rick invited Grant. I began praying. I gave the missions for decades. But I never thought of myself as going on mission until I began praying about it. The Lord was laying something on my heart. I didn't know what it was. I just began praying. And then one day at the school where we taught, uh, we were at a table, Grant and I were speaking, and we weren't even talking about going on mission. And the first thing he did was he turned around and says, oh, by the way, you want to go to Uganda with me? And I realized that I've been praying about this, and God had just answered the prayer. And if you don't think God answers prayer, well, I've got some news for you. I'm about to talk about a situation where he answered prayer. So anyway, uh, what is the purpose of mission? Overall, mission is to glorify God. 
God must be glorified first and foremost. Secondly, the mission has to be spiritually productive. And this is the problem. This is what went south on our first attempt in Bombo with the previous pastor. So when we met Pastor Paul on Facebook, we took some care to try to get in around this guy with other people to find out who he was and what he was doing to make sure that he was legit. And so the second part is that there has to be, the mission has to be spiritually productive. Well, how is it spiritually productive when the church that you helped began planting other churches? When you see disciples being make, made, like we saw a minute ago, disciples being made uh, by others who were discipled, then that's the sign that that church is healthy and that it's growing. And for anybody here that thinks that you have to have specialized training to go on mission, let me just say that God does not call the equipped. God calls, or God equips those who are called. Amen. 2 Timothy 3.16-17, many of y'all probably know this verse very well, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so we are each called to a mission. The challenge is to find out what that mission is. It may be here in this area, uh, as we were talking about. Maybe you'll set up a little uh, display somewhere and you'll begin engaging people. And as you do that, your confidence will grow. You'll be rejected. We get rejected all the time. Sometimes we refer to our ministry as Rejection 101 because people normally don't want to hear the gospel. But you will have an opportunity. So what about Pastor Paul? Well, we began meeting with him on Zoom. And this is how we meet with a lot of our pastors. We meet them on Zoom. And why do we meet them on Zoom? Well, first of all, we need to keep track of what's going on. Second, they need to be prayed for. So these people that we are supporting need your prayer desperately. Pastor Paul needs prayer desperately. If it weren't for the intervention of the United States and some other countries, I'm afraid that Ukraine would just be more land belonging to um, an evil dictator. And so with our intervention and God's intervention, Ukraine remains and it remains standing, united and strong. And uh, I'm very concerned about the upcoming elections because it's going to be politicized. And that also kind of bothers me. Um, with all that's going on in Israel right now, a lot of people are beginning to forget that there is a great need in Ukraine. But our primary purpose of being involved with Pastor Paul has nothing to do with military conquest. Our purpose being with him is to encourage him in his work this man has started and is in charge of five churches. He teaches at a local college. He does not get paid. Um, and so when we meet with him on Zoom, we began to discern in his behavior and his words that he was really, really feeling depressed. And so the talk began, well, well, you know, they're a, a level four country. That means a country that's at war. You know, we're asked by our government not to travel there. What can we do? Well, obviously, we can send him money. But he began to express a need for someone to go there. And um, I've never been known as the sharpest tool in the shed. So I began working the logistics. And at some point, I began debating, should I say anything to anybody? Should I let someone know that I'm actually thinking about going there because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how bad the trip is going to be. It took four planes. And even then, I, the closest I could get was Suchava, which is in Romania. Um, so I don't know if this thing really exists or what's going on. So Suchava. Yeah, okay, there it is. Yeah. Suchav is right about there. That's as close as I could get. And then I had to rely on someone I had never met before in my life to take me to the border. Thankfully, he was a faithful brother in Christ. 
And so I prayed about that. Um, and God answers prayer. And as Brother Grant was saying, somebody's got to go and see what's going on. And um, having been there and done it, now I've got a little bit less concern about it. But um, our primary mission with Pastor Paul, I think first and foremost, is to encourage him. And there is nothing as encouraging as seeing an entire church that has dedicated themselves to praying for a pastor. So if y'all don't mind, I would like to take a picture of y'all with your hand waving hello to Pastor Paul. Because I'm going to send this to him. And I'm going to tell him, you have another church praying for you. Amen. So, anyway, um, I hope that you guys will remember him in his prayer, in your prayers. Remember Pastor Paul in your prayers. Pray for him. So, Grant and I agree that we need to encourage him. We need to assist in ministry. We're at specifically, well, when I went over there, it was simply to be a servant and to go wherever he wanted me to go and do whatever he wanted me to do. Um, and another thing, when we were talking with him and it was made known that I was coming, he created an agenda. Remember, he created an agenda, very organized. So the guy, you know, basically is a planner. Uh, he's also a visionary. And so that's actually good for us because we need help. We don't know that culture. I've learned a lot about it, but we don't really know that culture. And so uh, what we're looking at right now, since the majority of that country has been inundated by the Orthodox Church, having gone to the villages, having met with these people, delivering supplies and food, having shared the gospel, I share my testimony, and Paul is translating you know, and uh, I got spoiled in Uganda because we went door to door and we were sharing the gospel and uh, it was apparent that they did not read the Quran. They were there, they were claiming themselves to be Muslims so that they could get access to all that they needed. You know, survival mode, like a lot of us would be. And so my normal approach with someone that I didn't think was familiar with the gospel is a kind of a Ray Comfort style approach. I tell him in the Old Testament, God promised to destroy death. In the New Testament, he shows us how he did it, and his name is Jesus. And I began talking about repentance and faith. And the look on the faces of some of those people, the Orthodox, reminded me of the Big Four Bridge. And I, at first, I was kind of shocked and I started talking about, you know, talking with Pastor Paul and I said, am I doing something wrong? You know, am, am, I, am I disrespectful in my tone of voice? You know, why do they act like that? And he goes, oh, well, they're just orthodox. It took a while to realize what he was talking about. Um, there's an orthodox church, I think, that's separate from Moscow and there's another one that's connected to Moscow, but in both cases, they're like I was as a Catholic. They didn't read the Bible. So no, they're not going to be familiar with any of these stories. They're not going to know in the Old Testament what God prophesied about the Son coming. They're not going to know what Jesus did. They probably know that he died on the cross. But like a lot of people today, they don't appreciate it because they don't understand it. You know, they know he died on the cross. Even Muslims know that we believe he died on the cross, but they don't understand it. And so... I started thinking, well, maybe the ministry is not going to be directed toward the Orthodox. We'll still go and deliver supplies. We'll speak with refugees. But maybe it needs to be to somebody else. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. It's in reverse. All right. So, Pastor Paul, I actually preached in this church myself. This is the one that's in Viznitia. Um so Viznitsia is in what we would call a county, but they don't call they don't call them counties. They're called um, obelisks. And so Chernitsky is an oblast. It's the first one as you cross the border. So it's kind of like the county where his uh, church and his uh, village is in. All right. So this is his family. Um, this is Samuel 
Well, now, okay, I just messed this thing up. Sorry. Okay, so here's a review of what Grant talked about. Please keep up. All right. I'll be careful where I touch this. So Sam, Samuel is just to my left. Then uh, the next one is um, uh, Ronald. And then the third young boy is Jonathan. He recently broke his collarbone. And I was very, very concerned about this because they don't have any, um, they don't have really good medical care where they live. And so I was scared how, as how they might approach fixing this. For anybody in here that's been a cyclist, you know that a broken collarbone is a classic cyclist injury. And so over here, our approach requires a little bit of surgery, some plates and some screws. Not over there. They just set it. So right now, it's been set. It seems to be healing. He seems to be doing okay. I've never found out the story to find out how um, he is, you know, how he did it. Let me tell you about Tatiana, uh, Paul's wife. And I'm going to talk about Agnes as well, Stanley's wife. I went over there to be a servant. We went to Ubombo to be servants. But let me tell you what. Uh, I never ate so much in my life. That Both of these women seemed to be cooking. And Agnes, I mean, she had no modern equipment. When they cook, they have to start a fire to boil water. All right? If you're petting a cute little lamb that morning, well, you may be eating that afternoon. And remember, I, I took a picture with one of those. Uh, it was amazing. And I felt kind of bad because, you know, we're here to serve them. We're here to help with their ministry. And what are they doing but waiting on us hand and foot? And we just weren't used to it. I don't know, Brother Grant, if you struggle with that, but it kind of bothered me. And then, you know, I don't eat three times a day. I do something called intermittent fasting. And so... You know, it's like, gosh, this other meal is really not needed. So I just need to, you know, act like I'm eating and shove my food to somebody else. But she waited on me hand and foot. If I uttered something like I thought I might want something, then it was there the next morning. Because she asked me what my routine was. And I have a very basic routine in the morning. I mean, I have coffee because you've got to have at least one vice, right? Uh... And then I have, uh, we made ourselves, uh, what was it? Um, they were bagels with peanut butter and honey. That was what I had. And that was to sustain me for the majority of the day. And so she heard me say peanut butter and honey. And the next morning at about 4 a.m., there it was in front of my door. And they, I was staying at their house, by the way. So anyway, of course, Pastor Paul on the far right, and uh, seeing him interact with his children is really amazing. Uh, the destruction is uh, unbelievable. Uh, that country, even after the war ends, will be rebuilding for 50 or 60 years. Uh, there'll be a full-time job for someone digging up landmines. I guarantee it. And I think one of the young men that I discipled at the school is probably going to be the one doing it. This is a um, family from the um, Kherson, Kherson re region. Their house was destroyed. Uh, the young lady here, that's weird how that thing fades off. Uh, well, anyway, young lady on the far right, she was fighting a medical problem. And right before we got ready to leave, uh, Pastor Paul asked me if I would consider, you know, giving them something for her medication, which I did. Uh, and by the way, uh, their currency is called Herivnia. And one dollar buys 37 Herivnia. And so Herivnia basically um, empowered me to buy a whole lot more than I thought I was going to be able to. Uh, anyway, I don't want to use up too much time with all these little details but so we videotaped Paul asking them questions the questions I was asking them Paul was translating they were answering 
And uh, uh, just to summarize, what happened is basically their neighborhood was being blown up around them. And they found themselves needing to get into a car and run, literally fly away from the Kherson region. And they were actually being shot at as they were leaving. And so um, we ever interviewed, I don't remember exactly how many people, but in each case, when you listen to the stories, especially the children, I mean, my gosh, um, they had to watch this attack take place. And to listen to them tell some of what they saw, it's, it's heart-wrenching. And so anyway, uh, I never regretted going I mean, the more and more of these people I met, the more and more I fell in love with them, and the more and more I wanted to know more about them. So uh, we have a relationship with uh, Charles Stanley's organization, In Touch Ministries. They provided us with um, messengers. We, there were a number of people that could not see. And so um, basically... Pastor Paul were giving them out. Some of the older people, there was one woman that was probably in her 80s living by herself. We went to her house and it wasn't even the size of a closet. I remember we got in there and it was musty and her husband had recently died and she was the sweetest thing. Uh, before we left, uh, I prayed for her and Paul translated and... Uh, I just, I don't know, I felt like my heart was torn out of my chest that nobody cared about this woman except Sasha, and he's one of Paul's pastors, and um, he was paying uh, visits to this woman on a regular basis, so I know that she was getting some help from him. But basically, this is what we did. We uh, got our little bags put together with the stuff, and by the way, this is... I can show it. This is Pasha to the right of me. So I'm on the left, if you can't tell. Uh, and then actually, he would be on my left. I'm sorry. Anyway, he's to the left of me. Pasha is in charge of the church that's in Shepet. And then Seret is the church that's right at the base of the Carpathian mountain system. There's a little detail, probably wouldn't hurt to tell you. The mountain system over there is absolutely beautiful. Kathleen, you would love it. You would go in a heartbeat if you saw these mountains. They are awesome. And I didn't really know that when we were talking on Zoom. I told Grant that had I have known those mountains were there, I would have gone a lot sooner. You know, the heck with the missiles. I mean, you know. And by the way, the missiles aren't really getting over there. I mean, the Russians are bad shots, but as far as I know, they haven't been hit yet. Um, what we're really concerned about is the winter is that this guy probably is going to go after the power plants again. Uh, his plan is to freeze them out. So anyway, that's our concern. One of our concerns for prayers, just in case someone's taking notes. All right. Oh, boy. Um, I gave everything I had sharing the gospel with this young lady. Uh, she's Orthodox. Um, and this was one of the reasons why I sat down with Paul and asked him what I was doing wrong. Now, none of these people uh, stopped us from praying for them. But when we began talking about, you know, the gospel and Jesus' sacrifice and what was required for salvation and everything that goes along with that, I felt like everything that I had said to her was basically bouncing off the wall. Now, the kids were genuinely, you know, interested in me because I'm an American. And, you know, they wanted to ask me questions and things, but, you know, uh, the mother of these children, her uh, husband currently, I think, is in the war. Um, she began relaying something that happened where one of her kids was sick and a priest came and prayed over the child and maybe she mentioned something about holy water. But then as we were walking away, Paul never said this. I go, she was Orthodox, right? He goes, yeah. And so later on, that's when we had that talk. 
And so, anyway, he and I have been talking about a, a different approach to these people so that when we go over there, we're not going to ignore them. They're going to be part of the mission, but in a different way. So, anyway, we did a lot of that. Some of the people were um, refugees. Some were indigenous to the area. They have a an older class of people, I should say ancient, they're called the Hootsouls. And the Hootsouls could believe in just about anything. For the most part, they're agnostic, but some of them believe in spiritism, and some of them believe in ancient magic and arts. And uh, they were another incident where I felt like everything that we said wasn't going through. But this is one of the troubles about witnessing to older people. Like myself, for example, I was 21 when I was witnessed to, so I hadn't had maybe enough years to develop that hard-heartedness that we run into when we talk with a lot of Catholics. They're so inundated by tradition and ordinances. And so anyway, now we're thinking, well, maybe we need to focus more on the children. So what we're planning to do, oh, I'm sorry, went the wrong way again. There we go. What we're planning on doing is sponsoring a couple of one-day kids' camps. During the summer, they're an entire week. But at the time that we want to go in April, um, they can only be on a weekend. And so I think what we're going to do is really focus on that. We're actually in the process of developing these ideas as I'm saying this. We're not 100% sure of what we're going to do. But we're praying God will lead us and give us wisdom and insight. This is one of the many families that have been displaced because of the war. You notice that there is no man in the picture. And there's two reasons for that. A, they're dead killed in the war, or B, they're currently in the war and not facing much of a future. This is another displaced family with children. Um, this was before I actually went to visit. Uh, we sent them money so they could get clothing and shoes. They came walking, and there are no parents in this picture. Uh, the fella in the background is a helper of Paul. So they lost both their parents, they lost their home, and they just simply fled they fled toward the west, hoping that they could get into Romania or maybe Germany or Poland, perhaps. But anyway, those children were basically on their own, ended up in the mountains. Paul uh, found them and got their needs, and we helped out with what they needed. Uh, Jablonitsia, I did not get to visit when I was over there. Um, but it was a town devastated, and they asked Paul to come. They gave him permission to use their community center for basically a revival. So what he did was he went there, he did open-air preaching, he brought food and supplies and distributed those supplies there at the community center. So we're hoping that we get to go there and see it, but it's quite a drive from his village. And this is the outside of one of his churches. Uh, this particular church is in Viznitsia, and so this is one of the camps that lasted all week. And uh, this is the only time that these children are ever going to get to hear the gospel message. And so they have to really make it count. So at first we didn't understand the great importance of this, but now I think that we're very clear on what we understand about how important it is to reach the children, and even today in our society. While some of the parents at the Big Four Bridge won't have anything to do with this, the children are ready to walk up to us. And so we started giving out these little bracelets. And if the parents will allow us, we, we give them, you know, candy. And then if they'll even talk to us for a minute, we try to put at least a track in their hand before they, they walk away. You know, our ministry there, uh, and likewise, even here, the biggest part of sharing the gospel is to open up a conversation. Because the moment they know who you are or think they know who you are and they think they know why you're there, well then, they're not going to want to talk to you. But you have to get around that. That's why if you want to share the gospel, the best thing to do is to step out on faith, get out there, start practicing, you'll get rejected, but then at some point, you'll begin to pick up little details. 
like how Grant, I watch how he interacts with people and how I interact with people. And everybody's got a different way of doing it. And even in the culture that you're not familiar with, you watch the people, how they interact. You can pick up these little details and you can learn how to start a conversation. And if you don't already know this, you haven't heard this, everybody in here should be prepared with a testimony. If you're a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, then you remember the day you first trusted in Jesus. You remember uh, your circumstances and you need to turn that into a repeatable testimony. And I don't care if you have to stand in front of a mirror and practice it. Practice it. I mean, it was very clear. You know, I was horribly lost and ignorant and it took someone sharing the gospel with me to show me that. And thankfully, the guy didn't give up to, on me because I blew up on him and lost my temper one day with him and asked him where he was getting all these stories at. And that's when he looked at me with the same goofy look that the person at the border at Ukraine gave me, the Bible. And the guy bought me a Bible and I still have it today. It's been around the world with me. It's sitting beside Grant right now. But uh, in some cases where you get to know the people, uh, you'll have an opportunity to evangelize through, you know, uh, relationship uh, type evangelizing. All right, and so this is one of the kids' camps. Some of these camps had probably more than 200 kids in them. Um, some of the parents were involved, so there are cases where the parents are also going to hear the gospel message. But the seeds are being planted. That's the most important thing. You know, the Bible says that no one can come to Jesus unless God draws them. Amen. So all we're doing really is planting seeds. And we need to think strategically from that, that viewpoint. I had an unrealistic expectation. I'll get it out in a minute. I had an unrealistic expectation going to Ukraine. Once I got over the border, realized I wasn't going to get shot. I wasn't going to have to join the army. Paul picked me up. And then from that moment, I began to visualize what we were going to be doing. But I was thinking it was going to be like Uganda, that I was going to be able to share the gospel and people would be coming to Christ left and right. That did not happen. The only time it happened was at the church. And the people, of course, at the church, you know, it's kind of like a... They're a willing audience. What else can you say? But going door to door, um, that was difficult. You know, once I realized that it was going to take more for these people to be moved than my words, the fact that I was an American over there, I mean, they were curious. You know, they wanted to know if my GPS was messed up, if I took a wrong turn. They want to know why I was there. You know, who would go to a country in war? Um, well, I guess a follower of Jesus. So this is the inside of his church. This is actually from the pulpit back. By the way, that church is um, its about the size of this one, yeah. Yeah, it's about this size. Uh, the pictures, sometimes they don't show correct perspective, but it's about the size of this church. Um, he has brick veneer up in the front of his, and he also has a, a raised section in the back. Um, I don't know if that used to be for a choir, but most of them now they sing up in front. So it's about the same size. These are pictures of the kids in the camp, grouped together. And he also, another thing I like about Pastor Paul, whereas when we first were working with a Pentecostal pastor in Uganda, this fella, he and his wife wanted to control everything. They didn't want people to help them. All right? So, pastors in preparation, listen. You can't do it all. Neither could Moses. So he was given a little bit of wisdom. Delegate. Paul is an excellent delegator. He has a very large team of young people helping him. And so I told that. Remember, I, I said that. And I thought, man, this is a good sign. A really good sign. And so likewise, Pastor Stanley has a lot of faithful people around him helping him out. Okay, so um, I think that's about all that I have. Okay, how, how, how did I do on time? Okay. So anyway, I think that's probably about it for me. Thank you guys so much. And this is uh, just a quick review of our Facebook ads. Um, this is one now that's in Nepal. 
we send it out twice a month, as I said. Uh, we use a stat counter to find out there's 93% of the population using Facebook in Nepal. So I can just drop it in that spot and there's about 44,000 people that it's reached. About 1,200 people clicked on the link so far. So what you can do, how you can become involved, you can pray because John Piper says prayer moves the hand of God. You can give, you can always give to a project, a well, church building, buying Bibles. You can send, you can send a missionary, you can send supplies, or you can go with us. So we've got a trip planned for next July where we're going to be taking a group. We don't normally take groups, but this January we'll be going as a team, April to Ukraine as a team, but in July we'll be taking a group. So if you're interested in going, come and let us know. All right? Well, let me close in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy. We thank you for allowing us to go and tell your story to a lost world. Uh, Father, there are so many people who have never heard about you. They have no idea who you are, and you have chosen to use our mouth. You've chosen to use our voice to share your gospel. You could save anyone. You could do anything, but you have chosen to use us. And Father, here am I. Send me. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.